Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And of course, this comes right after the great uh, chapter on the heroes of the faith in uh, chapter 11. This is what God says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. They said it couldn't be done. They said it was impossible. But on the 6th of May of 1954 in Oxford, England, a young man uh, by the name of Roger Bannister, who was a medical student, took his mark on the Ifley Road track and three minutes and 59.4 seconds later, he had broken the four minute mile for the first time in human history. And the crowd went wild. Today, of course, we would wonder what the fuss was all about. Four minute miles are broken all of the time, even by high school students. But we need to remember that at that time in history, breaking the four minute mile or the four minute uh, barrier for the mile was as much a psychological thing as it was a physical thing. For years, men had tried to break that four minute barrier and every time the clock had won. And it had become kind of conventional wisdom that the four minute mile could not be broken. It couldn't be done. It was impossible until Roger Bannister unlocked the door and then a whole host of runners passed through. So that today, running a four minute mile is a common occurrence on campuses around this country and around this world. There's nothing unusual about it. And this is what the heroes of the faith mentioned in Hebrews 11 mean to us today. The heroes of the faith ran a race a number of times in Scripture, living by faith, living according to the revealed word of God, living according to the purposes of God, is referred to as a race. And according to 1 Corinthians 9, 
verse 24, it's a race we're to run and expected to win. We're to run the race of faith in such a way as to win. But a lot of Christians have this attitude that it can't be done, that it's impossible. But that's where the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 enter in. They prove that it could be done, that it wasn't impossible. Now, the heroes of the faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, I preached on this back at the beginning of the year, were not so different from us. They were sinners. They had failures in their life. They got discouraged. Just think of some of those people that are mentioned there at the end of uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Think about Abraham, who twice put his wife in a situation where she might have committed adultery just to save his own skin. He didn't believe the promise of God that he would have a child with Sarah, so he connived to have one with her handmaiden, with Hagar. Or you take David, quote, a man after God's own heart, a man who committed adultery, a man who committed murder, and who was also a terrible father. Or you take somebody like Samson, who was a show-off. He didn't keep his vows to God. And ultimately, he was taken captive by the people he was supposed to defeat. In other words, he had a terrible failure in his life. And yet, at the end of Hebrews 11, in verse 39, it says... All of these people were commended for their faith. In other words, they won the race of faith. They proved that it could be done, that it wasn't impossible. And the effect for us then should be to encourage us. Just as people were encouraged by the fact that Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile and then began almost immediately to follow suit, we know that because these people in Hebrews 11 who were just like us in terms of their makeup, they were sinners, they were failures, they were discouraged, but they pressed on. They refused to lose, and they won the race of faith in the same way then we can follow suit. What we do need to pay attention to, though, are the rules of the race. And our scripture this morning gives us three of these, three rules that we must observe in order to win the race of faith. The first rule that we must observe is to run with the right equipment. 
Someone joked once that a track meet was just a bunch of people who found themselves outside in their underwear and began to run like crazy. Well, we know that in running a race, a minimal amount of equipment is necessary, and the lighter that equipment is, the better it is. In running, less is more. I was watching uh, the New York City Marathon a few years back, and I was amused to see how some of the runners were running. Uh, there was a Marine who was running with a 50-pound uh, pack on his back. And uh, there was a waiter who ran the whole 26.2 miles with a tray and glasses on it. And there was a hospital employee who pushed a hospital bed for the entire distance. Now, to no one's surprise, none of them won the race. And you know what? Even the person who won the race would not have been able to win it if he had encumbered himself with all of these extra things. In running, less is more. When it says in verse 1 there that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we are not intended to think that there are a bunch of people in a stadium watching us run the race of faith. Instead, what we are intended to believe is that these are witnesses to the fact that the race can be won. Again, referring back to the heroes of the faith mentioned in Hebrews 11. This cloud of witnesses are people that we look to to encourage us to run the race of faith in such a way as to win, to win in the, in the way that they did. That is, to run in such a way that at the end of the race we are commended for our faith. That God expresses that he is pleased with the way that we have lived the Christian life, that we have lived by faith. Then he goes on to say that even though we can do it, we have to get rid of the hindrances and the sins that can keep us from doing that. In other words, we have to run with the right equipment, and again, in running, less is more. We have to get rid of some things in our lives. Some of the things he refers to as hindrances. They're not necessarily sins, but they could become sins. Think, for instance, of work. Work is actually, and the way we do our work, is actually a part of the race of faith. God intends work as a way that we can express our love for him, doing what he wants done, the way he wants it done, and because he wants it done. And it's a way of expressing our love to our neighbors, providing goods and services that they need that they can't provide for themselves. 
work is a good thing. And done in the right way, again, it is a part of the way that we run the race of faith. But work can become a hindrance as well. And it can even become sinful if we approach it in the wrong way. If work becomes an idol, that is, it takes the place of God in our lives. If, for instance, we think we have to overwork in order to make our financial situation secure, as though everything depended on us rather than on God. If we put our job as the focus of our security rather than God, then we have turned it into an idol. Or if we look to our work for status, that is making work an idol, and it can become a hindrance to running the race of, of faith. Or if we look at work simply as a selfish way to accumulate the things that we want, that is to accumulate possessions. That is a wrong way, an unbiblical way of looking at work. And in, in those cases, then work can become a hindrance to running the race of faith. Family is another thing that God intends as part of the race of faith. That is the way that we value each other and take care of each other in our families is something that God wants us to do. There is a biblical design for that. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to respect their husbands. Parents aren't supposed to provoke their children to anger and children are to be obedient uh, to their parents. That's a part of running the race of faith. But again, the family can become a hindrance if we allow it to become an idol in our lives, if we allow it to take the place of God. I can only, can't, or I can't help but think of this last Christmas when so many churches shut down because Christmas was on a Sunday. And the reason given for shutting these down is because they wanted to people to spend time with their families. Now, spending time with family is good, but when it takes the place of giving God what his, is his due, that is, the worship of God, then the family has become a hindrance. Stop and think about it. Even Jesus had to overcome this hindrance in his own life because if he had listened to his family and what they wanted him to do, he would never have gone to the cross. Again, how we conduct ourselves in our family is actually part of the race of faith, but it can become a hindrance if we put it in the place of God. And then finally, recreation. Recreation is intended to refresh us, to uh, re-energize us. It's a good thing. God uh, didn't come to rob us of our joy. He came to add to our joy. And recreation is very enjoyable. 
But again, if it takes the place of God in our lives, if it gets in the way, for instance, of our work, doing work the way God wants us to do it, if it gets in the way of our family life, if it gets in the way, again, of worshiping God, of Christian fellowship, of ministry, then recreation actually becomes sinful. It's a hindrance to us running the race of faith. So we need to think about how we can eliminate these, these uh, hindrances. Because again, in running a race, less is more. We need to run with the right equipment. And then he talks about getting rid of sins. And we don't have to dwell on this for very long because obviously if we are indulging in sin then it's like running a race with your shoelaces tied together. You're, you're going to wind up with your face in the dirt, and it's awfully hard to run with your face in the dirt. And we need to be careful about how we treat sin. It's, it's not something that doesn't make a difference to God. It's not something that doesn't make a difference to us because Sin is a little like mud. If you run in the mud, what happens? Mud attracts mud. If you think you can indulge sin in the race of faith, you'll find out pretty soon that it's just not possible. Because if you allow for one sin, then you're more likely to allow for another sin in your life. And gradually you get so bogged down that it's easy to get discouraged and simply drop out. Now, again, we need to reduce uh, the number of things in our lives so that they're not hindrances. We need to deal with sin in our lives, honestly, confessing it and repenting of it, and continuing on if we're going to win the race of faith. But then there's something else that he goes on to talk about here. Another rule for running the race of faith in order to win, and that's to run with perseverance. The race of faith is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. Back in the 80s and 90s, I was considered to be an elite runner. I was even sponsored by Adidas while I was at uh, seminary, and I was very good at 5K and 10K races, three miles, six miles. But I wasn't very good at marathons. In fact, I wasn't any good at all. And the very first three marathons that I tried to run, up, to run I dropped out of. And uh, there, there were two reasons uh, for that. First of all, I wasn't prepared for the distance. A marathon is 26.2 miles. I was used to running 5Ks and 10Ks. And I'd get to about the 15-mile mark in a marathon, and I'd think, enough of this. Uh, and I'd kick. Well, that's what you do in shorter races. You save you know, everything that you've got for right at the very end. The trouble is that at 15 miles, you still had 11.2 miles to go. And nobody can kick for 11.2 miles. And so I'd end up 
dropping out. I just wasn't prepared uh, for the distance uh, mentally. We need to realize that the race of faith is for life. It's another reason why people drop out of the race for faith and come to think that it can't be done, that it's impossible. Uh, they've done it for so long, they've failed at it for so long, they just finally just get tired and give up, and they drop out. And this is especially true for those of us who are older. We get to a certain stage in our lives, and because of the culture that we have here in the United States, we all want to retire. And it's not just from our jobs that we want to retire. We just want to retire from everything. And so we give up. I like to think of Caleb uh, from the Old Testament. And in uh, chapter 14, when they were dividing up the land uh, to give to different ones in the promised land, uh, he says, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. He was 85 years old at this time. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, that was a, a giant race of people, the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. This is at 85 years of age. He's saying, give me the toughest part of the land, give me the toughest people, and with God's help, I'm going to go and run them out of there. He understood that the race of faith was a race for life. The race is not over until it is over. A number of years, J. Oswald Sanders, the uh, theologian from New Zealand, was here in Sherwood and, Sherwood, and uh, sat down with a group of us pastors. And I still remember, he was 83 at the time, still remember him sitting down and going through the fruit of the Spirit and talking to us about how he was still trying to grow in each one of these areas. And I was so impressed with that that in 83 years old, he was still persevering. He was running the race of faith in such a way as to win. And then I think of my mother, who on her 70th birthday announced to all of us that uh, now that she was 70, she didn't have to be nice to anybody anymore. Well, some of us hadn't noticed that she was nice before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but she was expressing that attitude that she was a missionary. Her attitude was, I've done this ministry all my life. I've been nice to people. I had to be nice to people. And I'm just tired of it. I'm ready to give up. Now, you all pray for me because one of these days I'm going to die and go to heaven and I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus, but I don't know about my mother. I, <laughs> I think she's going to have it in for me when I, uh, when I get there, because I've told some stories on her that she would not be very happy about. But the race of faith is a race for life. It's a marathon. You have to be ready for the distance. But the second reason that I wasn't able to complete a marathon 
was because I was running anaerobically rather than aerobically. What that means, and, and by the way, you run anaerobically to win sprints, but you can't run anaerobically and win a marathon. What that means is when you're running anaerobically, you are expending more oxygen than you're, you're taking in. And you can do that for a short period of time. But when you're running a marathon, you have to run aerobically. You have to keep taking in enough oxygen to keep going for the distance that is required. And in the Christian life, that means that we can't just go to church when we were younger, when our parents took us to church, and expect that we're going to be able to run the race of faith successfully based on what we got when we were kids. And it means for us adults that we can't run the race of faith successfully and neglect the means of grace that God has provided for us. Without the help of God, without God enabling us day by day and week by week and year by year with the grace that only he can provide, we're not going to be able to finish the race successfully. So we have to be careful that we are regular in our worship of God, in our Christian fellowship, in our study of God, and in our prayer. That is going to be essential to winning the race of faith. And then finally, the third rule that he mentions here for uh, running the race of faith in such a way as to win is he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of uh, my heroes back in uh, the 80s was a young man by the name of Eamon Coughlin, who was a fantastic Irish miler. And once he was competing uh, for uh, the world championship, and, and he was in uh, the trials, and uh, unfortunately, uh, about the second lap, there are four laps that they have to run. In the second lap, he was tripped, and he fell down. And everybody thought he was out of the race, but no. He picked himself up, and by the end of the race, he was in third place, just maybe 20 yards from the end. And he looked over his left shoulder to see if anybody was gaining on him and didn't see anybody and slowed down. What he didn't see that somebody was coming up on the right and passed him right at the very end. And he was knocked out of the final uh, championship race. In other words, he took his eye off the mark. On the other hand, Roger Bannister when he was running the first sub-four-minute mile, said this about uh, the last 200 yards of the race. He said, of the final 200 yards, I had a moment of mixed joy and anguish when my mind took over. It raced well ahead of my body and drew my body compellingly forward. I felt that the moment of a lifetime had come. There was no pain, only a great unity of movement and aim. 
the world seemed to stand still or did not exist. The only reality was the next 200 yards of track under my feet. The tape meant finality. He was fully focused on the goal that he was running to. And for us, that means that we must keep our eyes totally focused on Jesus Christ. There are at least two reasons for that. First of all, Jesus is an example for us. That's what he refers to here. When he says that he was the author, uh, that word can also be translated pioneer, or uh, Glenn used the word captain uh, this morning. In other words, he's somebody that goes ahead. Like Roger Bannister, he's somebody that proves that it can be done. Jesus is an example to us of someone who lived a life of perfect obedience. Now, obviously, we're not Jesus, but we do have the same Holy Spirit within us to help us because we do understand that, no, we can't win the race of faith in our own strength. It takes somebody else's help. And the example of Jesus is a great help to us. In one of Aesop's uh, fables, he talks about a king who was a hunchback and was embarrassed to go out in public. But he had a sculptor sculpt a statue of himself, which he put in his garden. And every day he would go out and gaze at that sculpture. And by the end of Aesop's fable, the hunchback king had straightened himself up just by virtue of continuing to gaze at what he was supposed to look like. In the same way, it's by looking at Jesus, not comparing ourselves to others, but by looking at Jesus that we are racing towards the right goal. And by doing that, then, can win the race of faith. The other reason for keeping our eyes focused on Jesus is the same one that little children have when they run races. Have you ever seen them at a track meet? It's, it's kind of funny. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed very often is that the little kids will be running that race and suddenly they'll see their mom or their dad. And instead of finishing the race, they just run to their mom and dad. Why? Because that's who they're running to please. They want to please their mom and dad because their mom and dad love them unconditionally. And in the same way, Jesus loves us that way. Greg Luganus, uh, the Olympic uh, uh, diver, once said that when he was getting ready to dive, he always thought about the fact that even if I blow this dive, my mom will still love me. And then I dive for excellence. That's the way we as Christians are to run the race of faith. With our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. To please him. And we can please him just like the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 did. Remember they were commended 
for their faith. They pleased God by the way they ran the race of faith, even though, like us, they were weak, they were sinners, they failed, they got discouraged, but they refused to lose. And in the end, by keeping focused on the goal of the race, we too can expect to be commended for our faith and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus and the heroes of the faith have proved that it can be done. It's not impossible. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we receive from your word over and over again. Yes, Father, the commands are impossible for us to keep. Father, the Christian life is difficult. There are these hindrances, there are these sins in our lives that uh, we allow to get in the way. We fall on our faces so often. And yet, Father, your word continues to assure us that if we will just keep going, if we will continue to run the race of faith, that we can win, that we can be considered pleasing to you. Father, encourage us with these things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.